You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, and who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hi, everyone. As was just said, my name is Matt, and it's my real pleasure to be able to open up the passage we've just heard with you all today. It's a pretty well-known passage. It's part of our encounter series where we've been looking at some people who have encountered Christ Jesus and been changed been transformed by that encounter. We're actually drawing near to the end of our series, so just take a moment and think back. What stories do you remember? Which ones have impacted you? Most of them have been nameless people who, having met Jesus, have been deeply impacted by Him. Today's story is a little bit different, though. Again, it's a nameless person But unlike most of the other sermons we've had in this series, this guy doesn't seem to be transformed, changed, or deeply impacted by Jesus. We're going to look at Luke chapter 18. And as we do so, I think this passage is really divided up into two important questions that perhaps we've asked and that we need answers to. So I hope you've got your Bibles open with you as we're going to work through this passage, Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. In verse 18, we're introduced to a ruler. That's all we're told. Some sort of leader in the community. We don't know exactly what he rules, where he leads, 
But he asks our first important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've actually heard lots of people ask that question over the years. And it's a question I think that people want certainty about. And they're quite uncertain even as they ask it. As a minister, I've had to do a number of funerals over many years. And there's generally sort of two types of funerals I do. Uh, One is for family or close friends. And obviously those ones are, you know, deeply impacting for me to do. But there's other funerals I do, which is just part of working for a church. That they're generally funerals of people I don't even know. And so often as I sit back, I hear a question like this asked, even if implicitly. Comments are made like, I know she's in a better place. Do you? I know he's looking down upon us. The person who's just departed. And I'm sure if I drilled into these things, if I asked further questions, the people have got a sense that there is something like eternal life. There is some sort of life after death, that they like that idea, but they don't really know anything about it. This ruler wants to know for certain. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus has a two-part answer. His first part is a bit cryptic, if we're honest. Why do you call me good, says Jesus? I had to take a moment when I read this passage and thought, where did that come from? Oh, that's right. The, The man politely addressed Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I've sometimes struggled with that and thought, what exactly is going on here? What's Jesus saying? Why does he start in this way? I don't think Jesus is saying he's not good. We see throughout Luke's gospel so far that Jesus, in fact, the sinless son of God. I also don't think that Jesus is saying, he's, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. We, we know that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. We've seen that clearly in Luke's gospel. Instead, what I think Jesus is doing here is raising something to challenge this ruler. What must I do? No one is good. Maybe good enough, Jesus is suggesting. But we'll see more about what Jesus does with this as the passage goes on. Jesus moves to the second part of his answer. What must I do? Well, well, you know the commandments. And he lists a few of them off. And the man responds and says, well, all these I have kept from youth. I wonder how you respond to that claim. I suspect like me, you might be uh, quick to sort of think, really? Maybe scoff or mock. Do you think you've kept all the commandments? We've spent time this year in Exodus and we've looked at the commandments and just how how wide-reaching and difficult they are. We've seen Jesus take them even further in the Sermon on the Mount. Has this man really kept them all? 
Well, do you notice that Jesus is a bit different perhaps to us? He doesn't scoff or mock. He doesn't judge the man. This story of this ruler actually comes up in three of the four Gospels. And in another one, Jesus, we're told, looks at him when he says this and loves him. We've got a man who's a ruler, a leader in the community. But I think this teaches us he actually is a good guy, an upstanding bloke. Nonetheless, Jesus says, there is one thing you still lack. There's there's one area where this guy can't say, yeah, I've done that. What is it? Well, I quite enjoy maths. It's not my sort of strongest subject, but I actually find it's hard when Jesus says one thing (laughs) to pinpoint what, what exactly is that one thing. He tells the man, sell all that you have, give to the poor, Come, follow me. I'm not trying to enumerate them all, but it sounds like there's actually a few things there. What is it? Well, as I spent some time in this passage in the original language, I think it's a lot clearer. The emphasis is not so much on selling and giving, but on following. Jesus actually says after you've sold all your things, and after you've given it away, here is the one thing that still remains. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man now has a clear answer. Follow Jesus. But he doesn't like it. This clear answer doesn't transform or change his life. We're told when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This one thing that remained for him still remained. The cost has been outlined for him, but he's not willing to pay it. He's not willing to give up this much in order to follow Jesus. And we've actually seen that earlier again in Luke's gospel. Earlier in this book, some other people have turned up to Jesus and he's told them the cost of discipleship. And a number of them have said, just wait a moment, I've just got to go deal with something at home. I've just got to go uh, put something right. When Jesus says, just follow me. The man is not willing to give up these things. And so one is to assume he will not follow Jesus. And so he almost passes out from the story at this point. He almost ceases to exist. And so Jesus moves on to the second important question. It's actually asked by those standing in the crowd at the moment. Maybe the man disappears. Maybe Jesus just talks past him to those who are listening. But they ask a question, who then can be saved? That's another great question to answer. They've just seen a leader, a good bloke, a wealthy man, extremely wealthy. He's got all the resources. 
surely if anyone can be saved, it's that guy. But he's gone away sad. Who then can be saved? This question is asked in response to Jesus' comments about how difficult it is for anyone who's wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus uses a well-known metaphor here, a camel going through the eye of a needle. And you've probably heard about it. It's probably captured your imagination. You might even have heard many explanations about what it possibly means. I think Jesus is just being deliberately shocking. Camels can't go through the eye of a needle. Earlier this year, I had to actually do some sewing. Uh, So I tried to think back to my sort of home economics day at school and I went to the sewing kit in our house and I pulled out, if you can see this, the biggest needle I could possibly find. (laughs) And even then, I had great trouble putting a, a little bit of thread through the eye of this needle. I do not have the hands of a surgeon. You can't imagine a a camel going through something like this, let alone a proper needle. And so Jesus goes on to say, again, shockingly, I think this should challenge us, it is impossible with men to be saved. How does that sit with you? No one is good except God. It is impossible for people to be saved, but with God it is possible. Why is that? Well, although we skipped over the first first question in detail, it's worth just revisiting it. The man didn't ask, what must I do to get eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? He said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've inherited a few times. I'm old enough now that I have no surviving grandparents. And each of them has left me a little something, maybe a little bit of money or a family heirloom. What do I do to inherit those things? Nothing. I'm simply part of the family. I just have a right relationship with these people and they've blessed me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, nothing. You need to be part of the family. You need to have a right relationship with the father. This man might have been a ruler, but he obviously didn't know the ruler of the kingdom of God enough. He couldn't do anything. This actually fits with a number of the stories we see in the rest of Luke 18. Earlier in the chapter, we've seen a a religious guy who gets up and he prays and he says, thank you, God, I'm not like anybody else. And Jesus says, this man will not be part of the kingdom. Distinct to this, the next story is about some babies brought to Jesus. 
They couldn't come of themselves. They, they couldn't get there. They had nothing to offer. They had to be brought to Jesus to be blessed by him. It seems this ruler fits more in the first category than the second. After this story, we're told exactly why it's possible for God to bring us into his kingdom. Although there's nothing we can do, although there's something that all of us is lacking, after this story, we're told about Jesus who lacked nothing. Jesus who gave up everything. Jesus who counted the cost so that we might be brought into God's family and therefore God's kingdom. This rich ruler heard the cost and was unwilling to pay it. Jesus, we're told, it will be willing to go away. Given over to the Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spat upon, flogged and killed for us. And so the final story in this chapter is about a blind man, though, who can truly see who Jesus is. And he cries out, he begs, have mercy on me. That man recognized he was a sinner and needed forgiveness. This rich ruler thought that he could do all that was required and was disappointed when he found out that's not the case. Who then can be saved? It's impossible with men, but possible in God's grace and goodness. And at this point of the story, Peter pipes up. Peter actually says something worthwhile. And he says, well, actually, I can be saved. I'm one of those who've, who've counted the cost and followed you, Jesus. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Peter has literally left everything. <laughs> He's walked away from his boat and his business. He's left his father and his family to follow. And Jesus in verse 29 says, it's worth it. Truly I say to you, that's pretty solemn words, there is no one who has left their house or their wife, their brothers, parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Imagine you were present there at this day. Imagine Jesus was talking to you. What one thing might he say you lack? What particular area of your life might he look at you and say, you know what? You haven't given that over to me. Until you do, you're not truly following me. Would your face fall? We might think of ourselves as good blokes like this rich ruler, but we probably don't think of ourselves as particularly wealthy. Studies suggest that most people think, well, if I just had a little bit more. But of course, comparatively speaking, we here in Australia are amongst the richest in the world. 
I've heard it said if you have more than one room in your house and you have running water, you are extremely wealthy. What would you be willing to give up for Christ? Peter says, I've given away my family to follow you. When might the cost be too much for you? Well, as I read this story and I see these two big questions, I'm actually left thinking about two people that I've encountered over my own life. I'm going to name them both. Uh, The first one is Phil. I remember actually reading this story with Phil many years ago. And like this rich ruler, he went away saddened. His life was not transformed. The cost was too much. He was offended by the statement, this is impossible with men. No one is good. There's nothing you can do. And I still pray for Phil to this day, that he might encounter Jesus and be transformed by him. The second person that comes to mind when I read this story is someone I actually met at our church only a couple of weeks ago. Zoe was sharing with me that she actually loves her area where she lives. She loves her, her house. She loves how it's, it's close to facilities and the beach. She said, I love that I'm near my family and my close friends. I love my church, she said. But then she went on to share she's actually going to give it all away. She's going to leave our church in our area to go to the Northern Territory to teach others what it looks like to follow Jesus. I was inspired by my conversation with her. There's someone who's counted the cost. And although she's been extraordinarily blessed by the Lord, she's willing to give everything to follow Jesus and to help others do so too. Zoe has been transformed by the Lord Jesus. Have you? Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus counted the cost and paid it for us. Thank you that he gave up everything so that we might live. Thank you that through Jesus we have been granted mercy and invited into your family so that we can inherit eternal life. Father, help us therefore bring every part of our lives to you. Help us count the cost and keep nothing back to wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ. We pray that we might be transformed by him so that we will hold nothing back in our worship and service of you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.